you know how they say when the student is ready, the teacher appears? Well, I was in a place in my life where a day's productivity was becoming the marker of my worth. Then I read Madeline Doerr's I Didn't Do the Thing Today, Letting Go of Productivity Guilt. You'll hear me say on the show that it was a permission slip to rediscover what it's like to be a human being rather than a human doing, a machine obsessed with getting stuff done. I want to quote Madeline here. With this pile of undone things often comes an undercurrent of guilt, anxiety, or shame. Instead of being alive to the variances of what is done in a day, sometimes a little, sometimes a lot, we spiral in a slew of if onlys. If only I was more productive. If only I was more efficient. If only I was better. If only I was more like this person. I could do it right, do enough, be enough. When tomorrow arrives and we find this new thing didn't fix us or we don't perfectly adhere to the system, we find ourselves right back to the beginning of the if only spiral, feeling like we're the only one who isn't getting it right, who keeps messing it up. We turn to the next thing in the hot pursuit of the shadow of this better version of ourselves. We rinse and repeat the search for a key to optimize our day and stumble again. We're running to stand still and we're missing the point. We mistake what it means to be a person, to experience stumbles, to be incomplete as proof there is something wrong with us. We blame ourselves for not being exactly where we think we should be. Wow. This is but one of the beautiful passages from this gem of a book. She also writes, what if we didn't have to follow a set routine, but we get to create our own days as they unfold? Well, what if? What do you think would happen? How would your life be different? Are you struggling with productivity guilt? Are you using productivity as a marker of your self-worth? Then this conversation is for you. Madeline Doerr's brilliant, I didn't do the thing today, letting go of productivity guilt is such a gift. This book gave me permission to just be, to do less, to take my foot off of the gas and focus on being rather than merely doing. I wish I had this book when I was much, much younger, but thank God I have it now. Welcome to the show, Madeline, all the way from Australia, I might add. Thanks so much for having me, Rachel. It's so lovely that we can connect across the oceans and and I can speak to you today about all things being. It's such a joy. Well, it's an honor to have you here. It's just, it's it's all, it's so wild to think that it's about five o'clock where I sit and it's 10 o'clock the next morning where you yes. are. <laughs> I'm I just, in the future. <laughs> <laughs> that's wild. You are literally on a different day from me. So I, I absolutely adore this book. I had to have you on the show because you write in the book that rest is not a moral failure. Thank you for that. I am so go, go, go. So productivity obsessed. I know I'm not alone. I know that myself and many others need to hear that. So Madeline, why is rest critically important? Oh, such a good question. And I think it's such a common experience for people in our society to be on this hamster wheel of, of busyness and go, go, go. And we have been 
taught that that doing is a measure of our worth as, as a person. And so we see not doing or or rest as a failure, as if we're not keeping up, we're not doing enough, we're falling behind. Um, but it's 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 anything but. I think rest is critically important because we're human beings. When we're not machines who are designed to to go, go, go. Our bodies, our minds, our energies, everything about being a human being requires the rest. It's built into us. And yet we've become quite good at ignoring what it is that we need, be it our body or our mind or what have you. And we've become quite good at, at layering things like guilt or shame or anxiety over things like rest. Um, and I think that that's what, what can be really tricky to untangle from is that we we can be in all sorts of circumstances. We might be unwell, we might be exhausted, we might be overwhelmed and know that the very thing we need is to pause, to rest, to nap, to just be still and yet uh, deny ourselves that because it's it's too scary to let ourselves rest in case we are judged by our others or I think more so judged by ourselves and, and that that voice inside us that says we we must keep doing to, to prove our worth um, but mm-hmm. we need it we need it that resonates so deeply with me because I I really do use productivity as a way to prove my worth and on days that I have off I feel untethered because I don't mm. have any way really to mark my worth and that's something I really need to work on. And, you know, I'm going to quote you so much from this book because I just, I'm literally obsessed with this book. You write, there will be days like these, days that aren't our day, days we don't seize, days we wished to accomplish more, days that blur and bitsy errands, days that get derailed, days where there is something we should be doing that we're not doing, days we worry about all that will be stacked onto tomorrow, Days we're convinced everyone else is having better days. Wow. So mm-hmm. why are these days, days when we just didn't get it done okay and better than okay, Madeline, why are they necessary? Mm. Uh, well, in, in terms of them being okay, is it, um, it was so lovely, such an honor to have that read back to me because in in that compilation of days, I think what we see is that each day is so, so different. Not only are we different as individuals, but we are different each day. And yet we have things like productivity, routine, discipline, to-do lists that try to make us linear and consistent and replicas of each other. And it's just not congruent with how a day unfolds. It's not congruent with how we are as human beings and, and how we ebb and flow in our energy and our time and our, our, our privileges, our circumstances. And so those days are okay, simply because it's reality. It's, it's, it's what a day is. It's, it's, it, we don't actually know what will happen when we wake up in the morning and I think we forget that when we make our plans for the day and we draft our routine or we make our to-do list we forget that there can be something as innocuous as a distraction but also something like a a a tragedy an emergency some someone we love might 
be in 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 pain or or we we can experience something that blindsides us and so I think that it's okay because it's the reality but it's also necessary to be okay with the days that we didn't do the thing because we need to as you were sort of speaking to beautifully earlier we need to sort of broaden our sense of self-worth to beyond the doing because if we make it solely about the doing it's never going to be enough mm-hmm. and so the book I hope really shares that there's nothing wrong with productivity and there's nothing wrong with doing and you know the days where you do get your to-do list ticked off it feels great you kind of feel electric and you're like oh I did it but it's just not every day that that happens and that's why it does feel electric when we have those days Um, but really if we broaden how we value a day then there's more opportunity to be okay with different versions of the day if we broaden the day to say okay well actually how kind was I today or did I enjoy something did I learn something rather than just what we do then there's more chances to feel a sense of appreciation or feel a sense of fulfillment Um, so I think it's just an expansion in many ways Rachel to really expand how we measure a day essentially because they all look so different Absolutely. And I was looking for this passage about self-worth and productivity, and I found it in the book. You write, when we conflate productivity with worthiness, what we do is never enough. We can always do more and there is always more to do. I think that's so beautifully phrased. And I'm wondering, when did we become so obsessed with productivity? This is probably this, I don't know if this question has an answer, but when did we become so obsessed with the doing rather than just the being? Mm, That's such a good question. And um, maybe my next move should be to become a historian or an anthropologist. (laughs) Because I'm not quite sure in terms of that to pinpoint it. I think it's um, uh, requires a, a lot of complex research, but I think that it just seems to be compounding in, in, in many ways and for, for many different factors. I think that one of them is that we're so privy to other people's lives now. So maybe there's, there's just all, a lot of assumptions that we make about what other people must be doing. And we see these beautiful highlight reels from other people. And then we're faced with the mundane reality of our lives. And we think, oh, I'm, I'm not doing enough. I don't measure up to this other person. So I think that comparison's a big factor but I also think that you know modernization individualization even things like consumerism it just means that you know we we're on a hamster wheel because we're told that we need these things in our lives Uh, so we have to work more to have more money to be able to afford these things that maybe we don't actually need Um, but it just keeps us stuck on this cycle potentially so I think there's so many things at play and the capitalism structure. And again, that's so nuanced to unpack as well. Um, But it it does seem to have a compounding feeling to it. And maybe it's something that we've been wrestling with for, you know, the dawn of time is like, because I think in many ways doing is there, it's, it's what drives humanity forward as well. So that there's this, that that's that beautiful part of it is that we, there's, this sense to to grow and to change as 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 a species I suppose um and that does lead to to progress um for better or worse um but I think it's it's when it's the measure of our 
soul worth as individuals that we might get caught up. Um, but yeah, it's 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 interesting to see wh- where this business come from, and you kind of see traces of it even in Stoic philosophy or ancient um, religions and things in terms of trying to untether from from the doing and, and finding more of the being. So maybe it is an age old an age old question. Who's who's to say? <laughs> yeah, that was that's the question that I don't think has an answer. But you you answered that beautifully, and you know I I'm thinking of this other passage that I loved. I mean. Literally, I just could pull a hundred passages from this book, Madeline. Like it's, it's, it's so <laughs> oh, good. It just speaks to me and where I, where I'm at in my life right now so well. And, you know, you write in the book, rather than making us better, this doing obsession is making us feel overwhelmed, burnt out, dissatisfied, inadequate, and alone. When people wear what they do as badges of honor, talking in terms of busyness, in terms of being flat out, in terms of accolades and accomplishments, which by the way, this is me speaking, I do that. I am addicted to achievement. It is a drug for me. Back to you. We feel inadequate by comparison, yet pressured to perform the same. Doing, doing, doing all just to keep up, to prove we are worthwhile, but quietly, we never quite feel like we get there. I mean, that is, that is me to a T. So could our obsession with productivity be hurting us rather than helping us? Mm, I think when it becomes an obsession that it, it is, that's, that's the part where it can be very unhelpful um, because it, there's there's no end to it it's like we're investigators with no <laughs> real kind of outcome um mm-hmm. and and that's the, the obsession is it just keeps us you know going around the mountain because in many ways well this is something that I definitely have been prone to do and I think I'm not alone in that you know there's so many different pieces of productivity advice out there there's all these time management technique techniques there's all these hacks there's all these routines that are you know meant to promise you success and productivity and all of these things and so you think all right well I've got this I've got this thing that I'm not happy with in my in my days and here's this shiny solution so I'm going to try that hack and then that will solve all of my problems and I'll be a better happier content human being once I you know stick to that routine or once I try this new habit formation tip and then we try it and it doesn't work for us and we end up feeling more deflated more like a failure more like we're the only ones who can't keep up and and then we postpone our lives because we've told ourselves that we'll only be happy and content when we've fixed this part of ourselves with this amazing hack and then we found that that failed and so here we are Mm -hmm. facing ourselves again and so I think it's that obsession with this idea that something out there will fix us is I think what is the most unhelpful of all so it's wonderful when we find something that works for us um and that's why there's there's nothing wrong with productivity it's just that when we try to squeeze ourselves into these boxes that don't fit um or we think that our happiness is in this one solution um that's where I think we can get so caught up and that's where I think it it leads to this dissatisfaction or it heightens this sense of overwhelm because we're looking for answers in the wrong places essentially. Mm, I love that and I also appreciate that you write there's so much more to the day than doing and 
productivity is too narrow a lens for our day. So what instead should we be judging our days by? The book offers up a few ways to, to judge our days by, by things other than productivity. Yes. Well, I think that in my endeavors, so I, I spent being really caught up with this idea that there was something wrong with me and I didn't have it figured out and I was the one falling behind. I went on a endeavor to speak to people that I admired about how they do what they do in an, in in search for the the answer to productivity and so that was through a project called extraordinary routines and I spoke to creative people in particular because I was really mystified by the creative process and and how people build a career and support themselves in a creative field and I started out looking for the secret to being productive and prolific um, but in the end, I found that everybody else has these feelings as well and, and, and don't feel like they're, they're doing it right. And what was really interesting, I think, about speaking to creative people is that it didn't turn me into an artist. It didn't, it, you know, I don't, I don't I suddenly, you know, paint prolifically or um, <laughs> play a zillion different instruments or anything. I, but it, it taught me that creativity can be a lens for our days in, instead of or alongside productivity. So I, I very much see the creative process as almost this thing that can expand our days rather than productivity that narrows them because productivity, it's very rigid and it focuses on what we did or what we didn't do or you know how long it took us or all these sort of KPIs and these ticked off to-do lists and things. Whereas creativity it's really by definition expansive. And so we can actually use the creative process as a way to see that our days do look different and things have an have a ebb and flow to them. So many different people have written about what the creative process looks like and, and there is sort of distinct stages to it. And the one I speak about in the book is um, this four-stage process where there's the preparation for something and so that might be when you're researching or you're finding inspiration. And then there's incubation where you kind of sit with it and, and let it absorb. And that can look like rest and it can look like you're not doing much, but actually you're thinking and you're incubating and, and all the creative juices are, are sort of flowing. And then the third stage is this stage of illumination. So where you have that epiphany and that idea, and then that leads to verification, which is very much the doing and the, the output. And so when you see it as this cycle and it can happen in sort of, you know, not necessarily a linear order, you can see that there's, there's more flexibility in that. It doesn't have to just be this one mode of doing, 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 doing. It's, it's all of these different things. And so I, I think that that's a really opening, flexible measure for our days because it puts value in all the different stages that we can encounter. So that's one thing. I think creativity is this lovely antidote in many ways to the the rigidity of of productivity I uh, didn't realize that rhymed <laughs> here we go <laughs> rigidity and productivity um creativity so yeah I think that that's that's an expansive way to look at it but then uh, I also speak about even curiosity as being a, a measure because if productivity narrows our days then creativity expands them and mm. then curiosity really deepens them like you need that you need creativity in order to say to yourself or, or to realize I can do this differently. Like that's creativity. Whereas curiosity is really going into deepening that and, and seeing and applying how to, how to do it differently. I think. 
That's beautiful. So Madeline, why do we worry so much about wasted time? There's always so many productivity hacks, hack your day, mm-hmm. uh, optimize your morning routine. Why are we so obsessed with, with wasted time? Mm. Well, I think that that's because we live in this sort of clock time world with 24 hours to each day. And alongside all of this, this, I guess, the society where productivity is a measure of our worth, then we use time as kind of the, the, the uh, badges, I suppose, to, to, show, to have the, the measure. Um, and so what goes hand in hand with that is this idea of, well, okay, if productivity is a measure of my worth, then time cannot be wasted. It has to be optimized because I need to get the most from every hour. I need to seize the moment um, because time is running out. Um, So there's a lot of time pressure. Um, Make sure that you don't waste a minute (laughs) because you'll never get that minute back. And all of this is true. We do have limited time, but I think the pressure can cause so much anxiety that we end up wasting time worrying about the time that we're wasting yes, <laughs> which just yes, seems really counter, counterproductive doesn't it um and so I think that yeah we're, we're set up to sort of make sure we don't waste time but then we inevitably do because again we're human beings we're not going to be in a certain mode all the time um and so I think that we we worry about wasted time but what's really helpful is is maybe reframing what we call a waste in the first place like there's that beautiful John Lennon quote where it's says something about how time enjoyed the time you enjoyed wasting is not wasted time yes um so again I just think that we're rather harsh we we think we're wasting time because we're not doing anything but again maybe we're thinking maybe we're in that preparation or incubation mode and that's really valuable so why are we calling it a waste of time we can also prevent ourselves from doing things in case they're a waste of time like you hear that a lot and that's it's sort of this mask for self-doubt someone might really want to write a book but they worry about it being terrible and therefore a waste of time so therefore they never do it and I think that's such a shame because you're not going to know if the book is good until you start but also it doesn't matter if it's good because you're doing something that you want to do, which is such a beautiful use of time. But we've made time really, um, it, it's we have to always do these things that are worthwhile. But let's experiment a little bit and, I don't know, be a little bit kinder to ourselves with what we deem a waste of time anyway. Oh, I love it. You know, I, as you can see, I find the vast majority of your book quotable, but I have to point out one of my favorite passages is if nothing, if nothing in nature blooms all year, why should you? And as a writer, I have to have that time where I'm not writing, where I'm living so that I can have something to write about. You know, I mean, I can't, I won't have anything. I won't have anything to say if I, if I'm not, I, cause I don't write fiction. I write nonfiction and I won't have anything to say if I don't have a life that I've lived. And so there are times where I have to remind myself it's okay to not bloom right now because you are, you are preparing to bloom and you're, this is an integral part. Just like we talked about how rest is an integral part of the process, you know, not, not being productive 
is a part of the productivity process that makes your productivity if if you're me anyway so much better when i take a minute to rest and decompress and not produce and allow myself to just be instead of constantly having to do and you know i you talk in the book about what you call the trap of busyness can you walk us through what that is mm. so yeah it really is that um you're so right as well, by the way, Rachel, just that like you need to live in order to have something to write about. It's so exactly. important. Um, and your writing's all the more richer. It's wonderful. Um, so yeah, the trap of busyness, it's uh, very much that that sort of, I guess, what we've been um, circling around is, is that idea that, again, if, if, if we keep doing that, that can, we can prove our, our worth, but it can become such a trap because once we are on the busyness hamster wheel, we can kind of perpetuate it by, we, we feel like we need to kind of keep, keep churning and keep, keep going. And you, you sort of see this all the time in that, that there's some people that, that even though they're completely e- exhausted, they keep adding more to the to-do list or they might even get through their to-do list and then not know what to do. So they add even more on there <laughs> and it, yeah. it, it just continues. To, to go and that trap is is really kind of what we're speaking about with this idea of you know we're, we're taught to sort of aspire to these lifestyles and so you need to be able to afford that particular lifestyle and so you have to be really busy to 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 earn more money or whatever it might be to to keep that up um or it could even be applied to your your social life like we kind of continue to squeeze be on that 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 busyness hamster wheel and we can be the I suppose there's different types of busyness as well there's there's busyness because that's how you that's your mode you you feel that you do have a lot of energy and and you feel like when you are busier you kind of get more done that there, there can be that kind of phenomenon that can happen and almost in many ways busyness suits you and so it doesn't feel exhausting it doesn't feel like you can't keep up it's it's just your mode and then there's busyness that comes out of circumstance as well but then there's this needless busyness where we do overcrowd our, our to-do list or we use busyness as a badge of honor and that, that needless busyness is kind of what we can, that's the trap of busyness when, you know, we might even complain, oh, I'm just so busy. I wish I wasn't so busy without realizing that that type of busyness is a choice. And so what if you just didn't do the thing? What if you did just say no? What if you did take something off your to-do list? What if you, if you just stopped that, that kind of opening up to that can be the thing that might break the trap um if if it's that particular variety of busyness that you're stuck in and I know so many people Madeline who don't know how to rest who mm. who just don't know how to do it and they and I truly feel that I am a better writer I am a better editor I am a better podcaster I am a better person when I get rest. And so mm-hmm. if nothing else, listeners, if you are one of those people, if you are looking to absolve yourself of your productivity guilt, this is the book for you because this book really gave me permission to just be, it was, it was a key to unlocking a newfound freedom because I asked myself the question, what if I don't do this today? What will happen? And you know what? The world won't end unless it's, I'm curing cancer, which unfortunately I'm not. 
the world will go on without that one item on my to-do list and I will be okay and everyone will be okay. And it, it's just, this book is just such a, a freedom book. And I thank you for that because it just really gives you permission to just not do the thing today. Not that there's anything, as you've said many times, there's nothing wrong with productivity until it becomes unhealthy. And I am in a place, and many of us are in a place where our productivity is unhealthy. And listeners, if that's you, then you need to grab this book. And, you know, I mean, I learned so much. This is just a snippet of what I took away from the book. But Madeline, what do you hope readers take away from the book? Oh, well, Rachel, you've, you've just beautifully encompassed it. I, I, I feel so, um, so, so grateful for your thoughtful reading of the book because it's exactly that. I, I really hope it's a permission slip for people. Um, I, I'm so appreciative of your question. What if I don't do the thing? That's such a beautiful, curious way to look at it um, because the world won't end, as you say. So I hope that it's this beautiful permission slip to to get curious and to be creative with with finding your own way instead of feeling like you're getting it wrong just because your day doesn't look like somebody else's I think that we're all so different um and it's it's wonderful to start to celebrate that I suppose rather than feel like we need to fit into a particular mold um so yeah if 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 people could um take what you have from the book that would just be very very it would be a remarkable thing as a writer so um yeah it's just it's just wonderful that um that the book has resonated in that way it really has and I'll read it a couple more times because I I always get you know a lot on the first go round, but then I'll get mm. I'll read it at you know in a month or in six months and I'll get something else from it too so it is so powerful. I didn't do the thing today is out now. Thank you so much for being here today and for this book. It really has served in the few weeks since I've read it as a permission slip for me to focus on being a human being rather than a human doing. So thank you. Thank you, Rachel, for your wonderful, wonderful questions. You're a joy to talk to. You are as well. Thank you. I actually am going to reread this book soon because I already need a refresher course in how to just be. Thank you, Madeline, for this thoughtful conversation. Friends, we have two episodes left in season four. I am excited for those, but I also want to point out two books coming out on May 3rd, one that I've read and one that I'm so excited to read that should be on your radar. I have read Everybody Thought We Were Crazy, Dennis Hopper, Brooke Hayward, and 1960s Los Angeles by Mark Razzo, and I loved it. Before reading this incredible book, I kind of knew who Dennis Hopper was, and I didn't know at all who Brooke Hayward was, even though I love Hollywood and pop culture. Mark Razzo writes that Dennis and Brooke's love story was emblematic of 1960s LA and that their home at 1712 North Crescent Heights Boulevard in the Hollywood Hills became the unofficial living room of the era. It's not just a love story, but a snapshot of a time period, and I deeply enjoyed it. Again, this book is out May 3rd. And also out May 3rd is a book I am anxiously awaiting reading. Anna, the biography by one of my favorite writers, Amy O'Dell, 
a former magazine editor, and y'all know I love magazine editors, and also the author of a book I love, Tales from the Back Row. In this book, we get the biography of Vogue's legendary Anna Wintour, and I'm counting down the days until I can get my hands on it. Again, friends, we've got two more great episodes coming your way that I can't wait to share with you. A listener paid me a huge compliment this week and said that these conversations on I'd Rather Be Reading are like ones you might overhear in a bookstore, unpacking the latest and greatest read. That's exactly what I hope for from this show. I'm so thankful you are along for the journey of the best nonfiction books. Talk soon.